Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome once again to Hang On Soupy, a show powered by Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio. I'm your host, Caleb Soupy Spinner. Today, I have the honor of talking with a member of the Ohio State baseball team, Mr. Brent Totus. Brent, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me, Caleb. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I've gotten to see you play a couple times. I've gotten to call a couple exciting games. Some home runs of yours, I'm pretty certain. Uh, but it's been entertaining to watch you play this season. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad you've been able to catch some games. Uh, it's been a it's been a whirlwind of a season, but uh, it's been an exciting one. So yeah, you guys go out every time. It seems even in the games that you guys lose, it seems like it's always a battle. And you know, in baseball, it's fifty fifty. You know, sometimes you can be a great team, but your bats are cold, your pitchers cold. Anything can happen in baseball, but it looks like you guys always stay in it in one way or another in every game you play in. Yeah, I mean, with the COVID season, we're we're limited to playing only conference games, and it seems like every, like you said, every game is a battle just because you know both teams know what the circumstances are. Um, no Big Ten tourney, so we got to make do with our conference schedule and you know just win as many games as possible to get a shot at the uh, you know, the big dance at the end. In a way that both uh, that benefits and hurts you that you have to that we have to play in between the conference because the Big Ten is a fantastic conference in a lot of sports, including baseball. So you're playing some of the best guys. You get that great test going into the big dance, but then also that could hurt if you start slipping up playing against some of the best talents. If you come out, you drop three straight, that'll that'll hurt you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been a couple instances this year where, where we have gone on those skids, and it's tough because, you know, we play everyone, or not everyone, but we play some teams multiple times. And so – um, you just got to hope that doesn't come back to bite you, you know, seeing guys multiple times, you know, we just got to have a good game plan each time out and, um, you know, put together enough talent to get a win. So you guys have one more series coming up at home against Northwestern. That's coming up next week. Uh, or at the time of this recording, it's coming up next week. This will be going out a, uh, a few weeks after that series has been played. So a little bit of a time paradox there, but we're going to go back in time. Speaking of to talk about your seasons before you became a member of the Scarlet and Gray. In your high school season, your junior year of high school, you batted 412 with a home run and in one season at Andrew College, where you were before Ohio State, you hit 353 with six homers and 46 RBI. Why do you think you've been so successful at the plate? I think uh, just the coaches I've been around growing up. Uh, there's been so many people um, that have helped me become the hitter I am. Um but uh, the roots of it, I, I just – I'm a competitor at the plate, and um, that's what I rely on. I just rely on going up there and just um, playing the game and battling and doing whatever I can to, you know, hit the ball hard. So um, just growing up, uh, you know, my high school coaches, uh, my travel ball coaches, uh, you know, really instilled the root of that in me. So just being a competitor. It's huge. So. Now, when you go on successful tears like you do so often, the one bad pitch, the one strikeout, the one ball that you swing on that you know is going to be way high of the zone and you shouldn't have, that can get in your head. How do you make sure that those don't affect you at your next at-bat? Um, that's a great question. You know, everyone, you know, here and there is going to swing at that, you know, the slider in the dirt or, you know, the fastball that was up. Uh, I think that – um it's a one, you know, one pitch at a time for me. I, you know, I, I'll try and focus on the pitch that's coming and, you know, regardless of the outcome, it's, it's so what, you know, I, I'm, I may have just swung at a bad pitch. 
or I may have missed a good pitch. Um, but it's just, you know, flush that down the drain and get ready for the next one. Cause if you're not ready for the next one, you know, the outcomes are probably not going to be good. So, you know, it's a one pitch at a time mentality. I mentioned it before on the show when we were talking to uh, the two members of the softball team we've had on before that baseball is a game where you need to have a short memory. You cannot let things get into your head. You got to move on, especially now with this conference schedule, you're playing teams three, four times in a row. So you cannot let what happened the first game, in some cases, the doubleheader too. Can't let what happened the first game get in front of you and stop you from going on to this next one. When you were at Ohio State, and this is something I find extra impressive, is that hitting didn't stop. You carried that in. You, I'm, I'm trying to find the numbers here because they are impressive. But as a redshirt sophomore, your first season with the Buckeyes, notched an impressive nine home runs, 41 RBI in 57 games. Who are some of the people, both the coaches and the teammates, who helped you transition from playing in the GCAA to the high caliber of the Big Ten? So there's two people that come to mind. The first first guy is uh, John Piles. So John, uh, he he is from Newark, Ohio, and I was introduced to him by a friend of mine um, in high school that uh, has trained with him. Uh, he's a hitting coach. He does he does private lessons. He really helped me uh, mechanically uh, get to where I need to be and uh, really helped me, you know, figure out my swing and, you know, what's going to put me in the best uh, position, you know, to hit successfully. Um, and he helped me before I got to Ohio State. So he helped me get to where I needed to be uh, when I was at Andrew College. So uh, first, uh, John, and then uh, Matt Engel, the hitting coach at Ohio State, he's really helped me, you know, through – a lot of obstacles at Ohio State, and he's kind of helped me. Uh, he's he's helped guide me to where I need to be, uh, you know, mentally in the box. My approach, um, you know, putting myself in the right uh, mindset to hit. So, um, and he really hasn't forced me to do anything. It's always been, you know, let's let's try certain things, you know, just to see what you're comfortable with, so that you know you and I can figure out something uh, just to put you in the best position to hit. Now. You're a redshirt senior, which as which I like to refer to as senior with an extra step. Tell me a little bit more about what a redshirt athlete is. So I mean, it can mean a, a lot of different things. Uh, redshirt, um, it it could mean that you're not where you need to be in your development. Um, you need to take it an extra year to you know prove your game, uh, and you know you have the option to do that. It'll take a year. Um, you know, that's, that comes from the coaches and, you know, agreement between the coaches and the players or, you know, obviously injure injury, you know, hurting yourself and you need an extra year to recover. So I feel like that's a buzzword that gets thrown around a lot. He's a red shirt senior. He's a red shirt sophomore. And I don't think that the common fan understands what that is. So I'm glad you're able to provide a definition of that. And it can be one or the other. It can be the injuries or the development. Um, but it, it's a very, I think, integral part of not just baseball, but of sports in general is to get that extra step, whether it was because of a lack of, of developed skill, I'll say not necessarily a lack of skill in general, but developed skill or of an injury kind of helps the athlete and gets the best for them. What has your experience been like being a redshirt athlete at Ohio State? My, my experience being a redshirt is kind of unique because I had a redshirt that was not because of either of the two reasons that I just mentioned. So I say it's unique because um, when I transferred, so my first school, I went to Mount Vernon Nazarene University uh, as a freshman. And 
I actually transferred out of there to go to junior college after my first semester. And uh, I played games in the fall during my first semester at Mount Vernon that were countable games because uh, you can do that in the NAIA. You play games in the fall that are countable. Um, and since I had transferred to a junior college after playing in those countable games, uh, my eligibility, I had no eligibility. I couldn't continue a year somewhere else. But there was none of that communication that was not communicated uh, between the coaches, myself or uh, the NCAA or the NJCAA. So um, once I got to Ohio State after my Juca route, it was brought up that, you know, I didn't I made that transfer. No, not knowing that I was going to be ineligible. So it was almost like it wasn't my fault. So that's why I ended up getting a redshirt year because it was like, okay. He, he may have gotten the short end of the stick here because he transferred without knowing that he was going to be ineligible. So we'll give him that year back. So that's how my situation played out. But being a redshirt here at OSU has been awesome because Ohio State looked into that on their own. I never requested for them to do that. It was like, all right, let's let's see if we can do something nice for this guy. And and they did. They, they got a year back for me and you know, I'll forever regret. It's exciting to see that the conference and the school are looking out for you. One of the things we heard about uh, last year with the March Madness tournament, especially when the coronavirus pandemic first came out, um, was is the NCAA looking for what's best for its athletes? Because there were a lot of people when the science came out, they said these guys aren't going to be in that age where it's going to be affected. So should we really? That was the debate that dominated the sports news cycles. And I think it's great for these people to hear that the same people they question their intentions are the same ones who went out, fought and got you an extra year. I think that's something awesome that I'm glad you shared with us. As I mentioned, and as you just talked about there, you transferred not once, but a couple times. What has that been like both academically and athletically to start over at a new college as often as you have? It's been a roller coaster. Um, it's, it's been, you know, a lot of things to juggle. Um, you know, where am I going to be? Where, you know, who, what friends am I going to have? What my teammates like? Uh, and then, you know, the or the uh, academics, it, it was hard because um, I had to change my major uh, multiple times just because schools didn't either have the major or I didn't have the credits required, uh, you know, from school to school. So it, it was uh, definitely different. I had to pick up classes in the summer at, uh, you know, random schools to come to Ohio State because I didn't have the credits from Andrew. So um you know, basically that, that whole, that whole transfer, uh, from Juco to Ohio state, uh, rode on one summer class and it was, uh, you know, I got, got the grades in, got them good enough to come here. So, but yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, four, four schools, so it's been, it's been crazy, you know, being on four different teams, um, you know, trying to be a part of something good and, uh, make the most of it. And now, of course, you're a sports industry major with uh, with aspirations to be in the front office of an MLB organization. I think that would be exciting for you, especially since you know what's going on in the field. Now, college, MLB, two different games. But for the most part, you understand what a player is going to want, what accommodations we should have in the dugouts, at the practice facilities, stuff like that. I think that's going to give you an inside edge that not many GMs uh, or, or front office workers just to make it a general statement have in the MLB right now. Absolutely. That would be the dream. Obviously, you know, who doesn't like to, uh, you know, go on MLB the show or, you know, uh, Madden uh, make their own team, you know, do the trades. But I think it's, it's just a cool, it's a cool job. It's a cool dream to have, but 
you know, working in the sport industry would be awesome. And, you know, whether that be, you know, branding or whether that be, you know, whatever, uh, front office, that would be awesome just to stay in sports. And, you know, it's something, it is what I know best because it's what I've been around my whole life. So it would be awesome. It was NBA 2K's My League feature for me. But yes, I, I understand exactly what you're doing. The Columbus Commodores, we're rocking strong, okay, on 2K20. <laughs> uh, going back to your transferring and, and making the jump from the GCAA to the Big Ten, how would how long would you say it took you to adjust to the level of the Big Ten? Um, I would say that it, it was it was just kind of on the run. It, it was like um my my first couple weekends as a as a Buckeye it was it was crazy I kind of I surprised myself you know Dingler went down and uh broke his hammock bone and uh, they I just was thrown in there because it was you know but it's always next guy you know next guy up mentality so you, you got to be ready but um you know you're, not, you're never truly ready for it because it comes so quick like that so when Dingler went down I went in there um like I said I was just trying to be the competitor that I know I am and, uh, and hit, but I think it, it just, um, once conference started and we started playing other big 10 teams, it was, uh, I tried to carry on, you know, that, that mindset and Dinger got back and, you know, I got a couple of shots at DH and, uh, tried to make the most of it. So I think it wasn't so much, uh, you know, facing the competition, it was just believing myself. And, and, you know, I think every other baseball player would say that once they have the belief factor, then they'll, they'll be successful. We talked about making the most of your shot whenever it comes with Caitlin Kaufman last week uh, on that episode, episode 13. I don't want to throw you off guard. I promised you I'd stick to the outline that we have uh, with the questions, but I, I don't mean to throw you off, but I'm glad you mentioned it. Your experience at a DH, you're going to be going hopefully into the MLB front office. What's your stance on the universal DH rule? I love it. You know, I think that it provides so much more opportunity. Um, and, you know, f fans are always looking for, you know, more more offense, more action. You know, there are complaints about, you know, I will be being uh, slow. You know, it's not fun enough to watch. Just give, you know, give the NL a DH. Um, you know, you see it last year, guys like Shorber with the Cubs or, um, you know, Jack Peterson with the Dodgers guys will get so much opportunity and you know it's helps them get paid so and it helps you know uh the fans better experience so I think I'm all for it during my uh morning workout I put on get up or sports center whatever's on that early in the morning and they were just talking about Kluber who at the time of this recording he had just notched a, another no hitter and that was the conversation was are we are we hurting the offense here I just think it's impressive to pitch a no hitter. Why can't we be talking about this as, hey, this guy pitched a no hitter. How about we up the, uh, how about we up the talent on the offense to keep, to keep up with this guy? Why is that not the conversation? I think a DH would do that though. Absolutely. And it's crazy. There's been like set six or seven no hitters already. And there's never been, um, more than seven in a full year or so. Do you think they'll, mm -hmm. do you, we'll, we'll break that record this year or no? On our way to it. I mean, I, if, I, if I'm remembering the stats too, right, uh, this is the second month in MLB history where we've had, so we've had four no-hitters uh, this month in the month of May. This is the second time in NFL in, MB, in MLB history, I mixed up my leagues, where they've had four-plus no-hitters. So we're on pace to break it. It's just, 
you know, can, can Kluber and the rest of the pitchers keep it up? That's something that'll be exciting to follow. Let's get the train back on the tracks here. Focus, focus on the main conversation with you. As much as I love that, uh, there are some things I want to get to here. Going back to the, the transferring process with you, who are some of the, cha- what are some of the challenges that you face transferring? You mentioned some academically having to take new, um, new classes and things through different colleges to get the credits, but specifically focusing athletically, what are some of the challenges you had there? Um, well, uh, I think the biggest thing was being far from home. So I'm from Columbus and, you know, going down to, uh, you know, near the panhandle of uh, Florida down in you know the bottom of Georgia and Alabama, um, being 11 hours away from home was tough. Uh, you know, there wasn't just, Hey, I'll drive, I'll just drive home this weekend. There wasn't any of that. Um, you know, very rarely did I go home, but being, being far kind of just growing up by myself and, you know, making my own decisions, um, was hard. You know, I had to hold myself accountable, um, you know, make sure I was getting my work in because there wasn't anybody there, you know, other than my teammates, but, um, and the other challenge was, uh, learning, you know, to love the process, you know, the weight room, taking care of my body, making sure that, you know, I'm staying in good shape. Uh, learning to love that was, was a challenge, but, um, you have to learn to love it. If you want to be, you know, an athlete and you want to, uh, compete at division one level, um, you gotta be strong. And that was something that I didn't show out of high school and, you know, I learned to love it and it's, it's gotten me to where I need to be today. And, you know, I plan on keeping you know, to improve that. So I'm glad you focused on those instead of, well, I have to buy a new gear now that matches the color of my new team. Glad we didn't focus on that bit. Uh, last question here, and then we'll get into soupy speed round. It was our little, uh, our split up, get to know you segment that we have going on. Who were some of the upperclassmen who took you under their wing and helped you get into life at Ohio state? Um, well, first, uh, top of my head, uh, Matt Carpenter. Matt Carp uh, has been awesome. Who is now, uh, you know, our on the coaching staff here at OSU. Um, he's uh, our first base coach. Carp's knowledge of the game is vast. Man. He he is he knows so much, and you know he's he's a team guy. He's you know a, a players guy, and he he relates to everybody. He he gives some of the best advice you will ever hear too, and. Um, you know, I appreciate Carp and the way he carries himself. And, you know, he, he knows a lot about the game and he's there to help everyone. So Carp um, and then Ridge Wine. Ridge is a, is a good guy because, uh, you know, he was actually a, one of the team captains back in 2019. Ridge was um, – he was always there for guys. And, you know, he took me under his wing in, in the summer right when I was – when I transferred in. Uh, he was always there making sure, you know, if I, if I ever need anything to let him know, asking me how things were going. So Ridge was, was always there, but Ridge and Carp for sure were the two guys that stood out to me. And it's awesome now that you mentioned they're on the coaching staff. They can, can they can still uh, benefit you and guide you as you're going through your time at Ohio State. I think that's awesome. So we're going to get into Soupy's speed round right now. those of you who may not be familiar with the segment, you'll have 45 seconds. We've got a list of questions here. They're thought-provoking, so I gave you a little extra time for them. Again, there is no competition on how many you can answer in the time. 
Uh, we're not comparing you with other guests who have gone through this. The only reason the time limit exists is so A, we don't do this forever, and B, so I can try to pressure you into getting what's on the top of your head here and getting honest answers to these. So if you're ready, I'll set my timer here uh, just to make sure that we are staying where we need to. All right. If you're ready, three, two, one. Name someone you admire. Uh, Mike Trout. What's the strangest thing you've ever eaten? Oh, shoot. Um, I would say, I'll say rotten fruit. Let's go. Next one. Next one. What's the first thing you do in the morning? Um, go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. I got to get it out. <laughs> Who's the actor who would play you in a movie? Zach Galifianakis. Oh, my goodness. I can't laugh at that yet. Best place to get ice cream? Oh, Wits. Wits, hands down. And last one, where would you live other than Ohio? Never been there, but I would say Hawaii. I hear it's beautiful. Okay. Okay. So, so we got to touch on this. I'll, I'll get into the more um, detail-oriented side of me here. Wits is technically custard, not ice cream. So That's where's true. so where's an ice cream place? I, I, love, I love Wits. Trust me. That was the best part of my visit to OU. But what is... I would I would say Cold Stone. Cold Stone's money. Yes, yes, there it is. Cold Stone or Graders were the two answers I was really looking for. Um, and then Galifianakis, my main man from The Hangover, the the Wolf Pack. Yes, absolutely. An interesting pick. Uh, any <laughs> any of my friends that you would ask about me would know my sense of humor and know my personality. They would say the same thing. Okay, okay, I like it. I like it. But that was awesome. I learned a lot of good stuff there. Moving on to our main discussion back off of that, talking about catcher, the position you play right now, one of the most important positions in baseball there. I, I don't I don't think I'll get any backlash for saying that. Did you ever feel pressure putting such a crucial part of a team's defense on your shoulders? Uh, No, I, I feel like, um, you know, playing a game of baseball, you got to be able to handle the pressure because, you know, it's a, it's a game of failure. It's a hard sport. So, um. You got to go out there and just play the game and, you know, look at what the game's going to throw at you and be ready for it. So, you know, being a catcher, you got to, you've got to be in every single pitch. You don't, you don't have time to, you know, take a pitch off or, you know, lose your focus. You've got to be tapped in for 27 outs, nine innings. So I don't, I don't feel the pressure um, of, of holding that responsibility, but, you know, if any pressure, it's just the pressure of the game and you got to be able, you know, to absorb it and, you know, throw it away. Now, hockey is one of my favorite sports to watch going back to my roommate who got me into it this year at Ohio state. Um, the catcher and the goalie, aside from looking the same relatively, they both have to have high, uh, really quick hand-eye coordination goalies. You'll see them in the tunnel before throwing the, the tennis ball against the wall and catching it. What are some of the drills that you do to make sure that your hand-eye coordination is where it needs to be? I'll, I'll usually do the machine. Uh, you know, people hit off the machine, but I like to use the machine, you know, to receive off of it. I'll just crank it up, you know, throw it as hard as I can, just sit there in the winter and break in gloves and uh, just work on that. But uh, the other other guy I use is Brad Goldberg, who is our assistant pitching coach. Uh, I take him out before every single game and, we have our routine. I'll say, all right, I want you to throw the ball hard and I want you to throw it in the dirt. So, you know, kind of gets my, gets my eyes warmed up, uh, kind of block a couple of balls before I go into the game. So I'm feeling ready. So 
one of the catcher's most important duties is to watch the bases when the pitcher can't. When he's going to pitch and a runner commits to the steal, that's on you to identify it. What are some of the things you look for? What are some of the signs that runners will show that you look for in order to get that get that throw where it needs to be? Uh, I kind of just look for uh, situations that runners like will like to uh, run in. Um, you know, there are certain counts, there are certain situations in the game, uh, certain guys in the lineup that'll run or, you know, might like to run in certain uh, in situations. So I kind of take that into account. And, you know, I always try and uh, peek over at their leads, you know, see what their leads are like. Um, but you also just, like I said, you have to know what kind of runner the guy is. Uh, you know, I've got to think to myself, is this guy a runner or is this guy, you know, you know, station to station on the bases. So I uh, just kind of have to take in, you know, account all the situations that are being thrown at you. Which base do you think is the hardest to get a pickoff at? Uh, a pickoff for myself or a pitcher? For for you? Uh, definitely second base. It's the longest throw, man. It's Second base is tough. You got to get it there, you know, 2 to 2.1 seconds to get a guy. It's got to be there. So definitely, Not to- definitely second base. Not to mention Burhan or whoever's on the mound has to know to duck when you're about to sling duck. that because yeah, he's yeah, going to get exactly. in the way. <laughs> no, third, third base is my best friend because it's the shortest throw. So, How large of a role? One of the things that whenever you say pitcher catcher, one of the things that always comes to mind is the signs that you give to your pitcher, the fingers in between the legs. There's a lot of debate. Every catcher is different. There's a lot of debate with how much pull the catcher has in determining what pitch is going to come from the pitcher. What would you say that relationship is with you and just any given pitcher? Cause we know we, there's multiple on staff. Um, well, uh, first of all, some, some of the guys on the staff, uh, there's definitely fewer um, where we're able to call our own games. And then there are uh, most of the guys where it's uh, our, our pitching coach kind of relaying signs. Um, but it, you know, in the end it's a, it's a joint effort. It's, you know, Three of us, you know, myself, uh, Coach Delusha, and you know whoever's on the mound. It's it's a joint effort. We gotta. It's all about communication uh, in the game. We've got to re- relay information to each other. What we see, um, what was done, you know, and that could range anywhere for you know like how how uh, a pitcher is throwing. Like how is his how is his stuff? How is the stuff moving? Um, what do they have feel of? Um, you know, because one day you might have a breaking ball, next day you might not. You know, it's just whatever you have. Um, and it's other stuff like myself. I can provide information on batters. You know, where is a guy standing in the box? How is this swing play? Um, you know, is it is he getting beat or is he, you know, out in front of everything? And like I said, it's just relaying all the information between us three and, um, you know, putting an effort, you know, jointly to, you know, try and get a win. Now – I know better than to ask how you communicate that during a game. I'm not trying to be a Houston Astro here, but in practice, how do you guys, how do you, the catchers and the pitchers work together to make sure that you're on the same page as to what those signs mean? Um, So, you know, we, we always practice our signs. We always have to be on the same page with those. Um, But what we do in practice, you know, what our job is, is to, you know, provide feedback for the pitchers, you know, um, let them know what we see, you know, is it what they want? Um, you know, like how, how their pitches are, is there stuff where it, you know, where they want it to be? 
Is it, are the pitches moving how they want it to be? Um, you know, we just gotta be their feedback and it's, it's good to instill the confidence in them and to praise them when they are, when they are doing well, what they, and when they're doing what they want. So, um, that's another reason why catch is so important. You got to be a cheerleader too, because if you're not, then, um, you know, it, nothing's going to be moving in the right direction. So those walks to the mound aren't always a, Hey, get it together. Sometimes they're a, Hey, keep it up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you talked about how a lot of the times it's the coaches who make the signs to determine it. So I got to imagine that's pretty universal, but in those situations where you and the pitcher are able to call your own game, do you have different signs to different numbers of fingers mean things with different pitchers? And how do you remember all of those? Yes. So, so some pitchers all have different signs um, for breaking balls or for change-ups, for fastballs. Um, some pitchers have, you know, uh, fewer pitches. It's just, you, you gotta, you gotta remember you start in the fall, you know, starting to get to know the staff during fall ball when we're scrimmaging each other. That's when we start uh, learning each other, learning, all the different signs. Um, but yeah, like I guess that fall ball, that's when you start uh, remembering all of them. So that comes springtime, we're ready to rock. So you've got quite a window there to get them all memorized down. Absolutely. When we're, when we were just talking about the discussions that you have on the mound, and we said that not all of them are negative. What are some of the words of encouragement you give a pitcher, either when he's doing well or when he needs a pick me up? Well, it, it definitely depends on the pitcher. Um, you know, knowing the pitcher's personalities and knowing what, you know, what I might say, you know, can affect them. You have to know what to say to each certain guy. Some guy might need a little, you know, a little spiciness, you know, a little pep and, you know, get it going here. Let's go. Or some, you know, some guys might need a little encouragement and it's, you know, it's important to know your pitcher and, you know, so you can know what the right thing to say is. And, um, you know, I, I like to go out there when when a pitcher needs a breather. When a pitcher needs a breather, you can see that, you know stuff has not been going his way, or you know a couple knocks, you know a couple knocks, a couple hits. So uh, it's just good. I like to go out there, give a guy a breather, and you know remind him of the situation. You know, because it's hard to get lost in the game. Uh, you know, playing the game, it's hard hard to keep track. So uh, you know, just going out there and getting him back on track. Last two things I'll leave you with. We'll, be, we'll look ahead here. Talking about that Northwestern series we started off this interview with, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to and the objectives that you have for that series? Uh, well, that series is super important. And, and it's awesome that it's at home. So we can, you know, finish off here. It's going to be much easier, you know, to finish off the season. Um, but we actually had three uh, in the beginning. Uh, the original schedule had us playing three against them, but we actually picked up a fourth because of the uh, Minnesota uh, series getting canceled. So, but, you know, the most important thing about the Northwestern series is that we finish off strong. Like I said, there's no big 10 tourney. Um, so we've got to take advantage of these, you know, these games. And, you know, if we were to win three or four of these last four games, that'd be huge. And we definitely give ourselves a better shot, you know, to make the NCAA tournament. So playing our game. And the last thing here, this season was in jeopardy. Everything was in doubt when the pandemic first hit. What's it been like to play this season and get, you know, one of the last times that you'll be in a Buckeyes uniform? It's, it's been crazy. It's, um, 
you can't really prepare. It's like preparing a week by week or day by day. It's kind of hard because you don't know what's going to be thrown at you. Um, you know, just, uh, there's so many different things that we've done this year, uh, testing, um, and just our, our, um, like I said, our, our routines have been changed because, you know, the way that we do things in the past is not the same anymore and, uh, how we go about things. So it was definitely hard in the beginning. Uh, it, it's, it started to change with, you know, vaccines being available and, uh, you know, taking advantage of that. But, um, it was definitely hard in the beginning because you just didn't know what was going to get thrown at you day in, day out. So, um, but you know, it's, it's been, it's been a roller coaster, but I think we've all learned a lot, a lot through a uh, pandemic. So I'm just glad that we got a season in and I'm glad that, you know, we're, we're still playing and we still got games to play. Um, but it's definitely been a learning process. Hopefully it'll feel a bit more normal when the mask mandate goes away here in Ohio. And that'll hopefully get you a little more sense of, of, a, of normal normalcy in this, uh, in this time. So I'm hoping that for you guys again, good luck with Northwestern. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been awesome to talk with you and I look forward to staying in touch with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Caleb. Of course. Make sure you're tuning in to hang on soupy each and every week. The podcast version of the weekly episode releases on Wednesday on Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio.com and the SGSR SoundCloud page. And the video version of the episode, for those of you who like to watch instead of listen, releases Fridays on YouTube. So make sure you're checking in there. The best way to know what's happening with the show is to follow us on Instagram at HangOnSoupy. We announced the giveaway last week. Once we reach 800 followers on the Instagram, we will be giving away three $50 Amazon gift cards, one for each month of the summer. So make sure we're getting to that number so you can snag one of those Amazon gift cards and do some online shopping that we know everybody loves to do. I'll see you next week, but until then, I'm Caleb Spinner. That's the show. I'm out of here.